Welcome to the Legendary Upside Podcast. My name is Pat Corain. You can follow all of my content at legendaryupside.com. And this episode of the podcast is going to be an episode that was actually released previously on the Legendary Upside Premium Podcast feed. As part of a premium subscription to the site, you get access to a separate podcast feed that has audio versions of all of the posts that I put out on the site. Uh, this post and this episode is going to be on my 2023 legendary running back scenarios. This is kind of the signature article of the site. It's the article that I ended up naming the site after this legendary running back series that I've done for the last few years. Um, in, in the article, as you'll hear, I travel to the future to see what these high-end seasons look like for each of the running backs being drafted in the first two rounds. I also travel to the future to see what kind of a mediocre season looks like, a fully healthy, but a season that really still hurts you uh, for where these guys are going in drafts. This um, is attempted to essentially get you signed up for the site. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of showing you one of the perks that members have. They get to hear all of the audio posts narrated and this has been actually out on that feed for uh, a few days now. So if you're interested in this kind of thing, uh, I would say if you sign up now for a yearly subscription, you can get a $50 credit on Underdog as part of signing up. Details on that in the description below. Or if you just want to sign up for the month, that's only $10. Although I will note, I am going to be doing an in-season preview column. So there will be fantasy content on the site for the entire fantasy season. I also do rookie coverage in the offseason, dynasty stuff. So this is a, a year-round product. But let's go ahead and get to the article. The title is 2023 Legendary Running Back Scenarios. There's a reason this site is called Legendary Upside. Two years ago, I published an article on Rotoworld titled Don't Draft an Early Round Running Back Without Legendary Upside. The article made the case for strongly prioritizing running back upside if diving into the high-risk early running back waters. To summarize, I found that running back bust rates were worse in the first two rounds than in rounds three through six. This seemingly ran counter to the idea of the running back dead zone, which identified this general range as a place to avoid running back selections. But the dead zone effect isn't created by a spike in bust rates. It occurs because massive running back upside is typically not available outside of the first two rounds. That lack of upside is a real problem because bus rates are devastating at the running back position. Then I have a quote from the original article. Running back bust rates are bad in rounds three through six, but they're actually worse in rounds one through two. These running backs are busting 40% of the time compared to a bust rate of just 19% in rounds three through six. If your argument for taking a running back boils down to safety, you're probably better off taking a wide receiver. Although wide receivers rarely provide earth-shattering fantasy scoring, it's easier to stack wins together at the position, which is why zero running back has emerged as a tournament-winning strategy. But while wide receivers offer more safety than running backs, they're less likely to produce truly dominant fantasy seasons as shown in the charts below. And then I have two charts here, one for running backs and one for wide receivers. Both are showing best ball win rates from 2015 through 2020. Each year is in a different color. These are best ball win rates. Uh, I was using 
the best ball data to help illustrate this larger point. Um, I, I'll mention this later in the article, but I actually think the analysis applies primarily to manage leagues, um, although I do think it applies to best ball leagues as well. But these best ball win rates are showing, you know, that some wide receivers bust, some hit, but how big are the hits is really what is interesting about these two charts. The hits at wide receiver cap out around 20%, um, just, just over. At running back, we see some of that similar effect, but then there are outliers at the position and quite a number of them where we're seeing you know a couple a year uh, over this six-year span producing much higher win rates, upwards uh, you know 30%, like above 35% for one of these, uh, two above 30, another five or so above 20. And so you're getting these types of seasons that are kind of landscape altering where a wide receiver, you're seeing a number of really good seasons, but none like these running back seasons that just kind of single-handedly win you your league, where a third of teams are, are winning just with this one player selected. Seasons like Todd Gurley's 2017 and Christian McCaffrey's 2019 can single-handedly deliver fantasy championships. And that level of scoring, the type of scoring that a select few running backs hit each season, is the main reason to take early cracks at the position. To its credit, the market has historically been good at pricing up this upside. If you want a running back who scores like a high-end quarterback, you generally need to spend a first or second round pick. But given the risks involved, if you're looking for early round running back upside, you want to maximize your odds of landing on that year's legendary running back. To help us do that, I examined 36 running back seasons from 2000 through 2020 in which a running back hit 23 plus PPR points per game with 12 plus games played. These seasons generated a profile to help us predict future legendary seasons. And then I have the legendary running back target profile. I did link to this in the article. This is a whole article in itself where I came up with this and you can dive into those seasons, um, some of the interesting details there about who those running backs were what those seasons looked like, but here's the target profile that came out of that. A path to four plus receptions per game, a path to two plus green zone inside the 10 opportunities per game. Strongly prioritize versatile running backs with paths to high volume receiving and goal line roles. A path to good, ideally elite offensive line play. A path to an efficient passing offense, unless the passing offense can run through the running back. Be skeptical of running backs who entered the NFL below 210 pounds, unless the running back has a clear lock on goal line duties. Apply extra scrutiny to running backs 26 and older. Excluding rare prospect profiles, remain very price sensitive on rookies. Prioritize second year players, and be skeptical in assuming significant role increases for non-second year players. Prioritize running backs who have flashed the elite talent required to deliver high-end efficiency. Strongly prioritize running backs who have flashed elite receiving ability. This profile sets a very high bar, but that's part of the point. From 2000 to 2020, we saw just 1.7 legendary running back seasons per year. And since writing the article, we've had only two legendary seasons. Jonathan Taylor hit 22 PPR points per game in 2021, with 23 points per game from weeks 1 through 17. 
It wasn't a McCaffrey-level mega-season, but Taylor was still a legend. Last year, Austin Eckler averaged 23 points per game from weeks 1 through 17 and dropped 32.1 in the Fantasy Championship. We're counting it. It's possible we won't get a legendary running back season this year. That's exactly what happened in 2004, 2008, 2012, and 2015. If that happens, zero running back teams could dominate for the second year in a row. Because the issue with running backs isn't just that they bust. They can turn in fully healthy seasons that poison your fantasy teams. I'll refer to this type of outcome as a silent killer scenario. Najee Harris was the best example of this last year. Harris played 17 games, yet he was still a huge drag on rosters. In underdog's best ball mania, two of 12 teams advance from the regular season. This means that a perfectly average player should advance 16.7% of the time. But Harris teams made the playoffs at just an 8% rate. Things were even worse in full PPR. On FFPC, Harris had just a 3% win rate, about one-third of expected. Even though Harris scored 225 PPR points in a 17-game season, selecting him still crushed the value of fantasy teams last year. Dalvin Cook was a similar story. On underdog, Cook's advance rate was 41% below expected, and on FFPC, his win rate was 40% below expected. Cook played 17 games, totaling 243 points. 243 points is a lot. For reference, Fantasy Life has just eight running backs projected for more than that this season. But this highlights why drafting to bank safe, projectable volume rarely works at running back. Projections are inherently conservative, as they are forced to balance injury risk, usage uncertainty, efficiency, and a number of other factors into a single output. But ultimately, early round running backs are likely to score less than the wide receivers drafted around them, or much more. If spending an early round pick on a high-risk position, at least swing for the fences. Your early running back picks are by far your best chance at finding league-winning upside. And if you don't find that upside, one or two of your league mates probably will. The next section is called Managing to Win Your Managed Leagues. Prioritizing running back upside is crucial for best ball tournaments. Top-heavy payout structures demand ridiculous upside outcomes. But this legendary running back analysis was initially intended for managed PPR leagues. Hitting on legendary seasons is vital for any fantasy format, including best ball. But in managed leagues, silent killers are even deadlier. In best ball, health is vital to the success of a roster. When a star running back suffers an injury, that represents a huge loss because the options for replacing that production are limited to the originally drafted players. In managed leagues, injuries still hurt a lot, but they can be overcome more easily. For example, in 2021, Derrick Henry averaged 23.4 PPR points per game in eight games. Ezekiel Elliott averaged 14.5 points per game in 17 games. In 2021 best ball leagues, drafting Zeke wasn't helpful, but it wasn't devastating. He stayed healthy and provided usable scores, which is useful on a locked roster. But Henry drafters were in rough shape when he was injured. Despite Henry's far superior per-game scoring, Zeke, 7.2%, finished with a better win rate than Henry, at 6.9%. But Henry's managed league drafters had more options at their disposal. They still lost a locked-in RB1, but they could find running back production on the waiver wire, starting production they did not originally draft. 
and they rostered that production by dropping Henry, something best ball drafters couldn't do. Meanwhile, Zeke drafters were left with the uninspiring reality of inserting Zeke's mediocre production into their starting lineup for 17 endless weeks. If you think an NFL season is short, talk to someone who's spent a first-round pick on Zeke in the last few years. Managed leagues also create additional risks for early running back drafters compared to best ball. For example, in traditional fantasy leagues, early round wide receivers provide a big edge as locked-in starters over non-elite running backs. Although those wide receivers are unlikely to score as highly as legendary running backs, their scores can be combined with cheap running back production, which can be more predictably started week to week than cheap wide receiver production. We don't want to be stuck with the 2022 Najee Harris when we could have had a 2022 Devontae Adams, and we especially don't want to be in that position if hits like Tony Pollard, Josh Jacobs, and Ramondre Stevenson are again available outside of the top six rounds. To help us select running backs who will deliver on the huge opportunity cost of a first to second round pick, I will take my annual summer trip into the future. As I did in 2021 and 2022, I will travel to the future and observe a legendary season for each running back going in the top two rounds of the FFPC main event. I'll then travel to a different future to observe a silent killer scenario for each running back. Shout out to the multiverse. The first running back is Christian McCaffrey. Legendary scenario. Brock Purdy's week one debut following elbow surgery is a statement game. He smoothly operates the Shanahan offense, quickly getting the ball into his playmaker's hands before TJ Watt has a chance to get anywhere near him. McCaffrey sees eight targets, including a 12-yard touchdown scamper. His 24 PPR points set the tone for a dominant season. Purdy's play isn't quite up to 2022's shocking level when Purdy finished quarterback four in EPA per play, but he keeps the offense humming all season. McCaffrey regularly cedes rushing work to other backs, but when out on the field, he is an absolute force. The defense is unable to account for him while also dealing with Debo Samuel, George Kittle, and an ascendant Brandon Ayuk. Even better, the 49ers' elite weaponry keeps them playing aggressively. McCaffrey sees just half of the 49ers' rushing attempts, but more than makes up for it with a 24% target share. He is the only running back in the league to hit 20% plus. McCaffrey records 88 receptions, hitting 5-plus receptions per game, as he has done in every single season of his career. McCaffrey doesn't have total control of the goal line workload, but with the 49ers putting up 26 points per game, he is a scoring machine. McCaffrey racks up 21 total touchdowns, besting his previous career high of 19 from 2019. In combination with 1,900 yards from scrimmage, McCaffrey totals 404 PPR points. Although he falls 65 points short of his legendary 2019 campaign, there are no complaints from his fantasy managers. McCaffrey's 23.8 PPR points per game and second career 400-plus point season lead to massive win rates. And McCaffrey doesn't let up in the fantasy playoffs. He puts up 33 PPR points in a Week 16 shootout with the Ravens, then in Week 17 scores three touchdowns against the floundering Commanders. Absurdly, 2023 becomes McCaffrey's fourth career legendary season. The fantasy industry spends two days in January reflecting on how a Mount Rushmore fantasy running back spent the entire summer outside of the top two picks. But the discourse quickly shifts to whether Caleb Williams is already better than Patrick Mahomes. Silent killer scenario. 
The 49ers offense is not in sync to begin the season. It's not an outright disaster, but Purdy doesn't have the same magic he did as a rookie. After some up-and-down performances, Purdy melts down in an interception-laden week-out blowout loss to the Bengals. Kyle Shanahan's crotchety meter goes to 11 in the post-game press conference, leading to Sam Darnold rumors as the 49ers head into their bye week. Darnold remains on the bench when the 49ers take the field in Jacksonville two weeks later. But it's clear that some changes have been made. The Purdy honeymoon is over. The 49ers' new approach is a return to the run-heavy days of 2019. For the rest of the season, Shanahan's offense pounds the rock whenever possible. And with an elite defense on the other side of the ball, this approach works. But it's a bummer for fantasy managers who have invested in a far smaller offensive pie than they anticipated. This run-heavy approach would normally be an exciting development for a starting running back. But McCaffrey is not a normal running back. And Shanahan is wise enough to keep his 27-year-old receiving weapon fresh for the playoffs. There's also the issue of McCaffrey's rushing efficiency, which falls below 4.0 yards per carry for the third time in his career. This exacerbates a lack of opportunities in obvious rushing situations. The 49ers' depth chart behind McCaffrey is a bit chaotic, but the one constant is that other backs are involved, with Elijah Mitchell, Jordan Mason, and Tyrion Davis-Price all getting run throughout the year. McCaffrey still sees 204 carries, just 40 fewer than in 2022, but it's a very frustrating outcome with the reduced volume of the 49ers' passing game. McCaffrey's receiving efficiency holds steady, but there just aren't as many routes for him to run. With 77 receptions, he easily clears 4-plus receptions per game, but his 4.5 per game still sets a new career low. And McCaffrey's goal line role is inconsistent, with the 49ers sometimes bringing in a bigger back. And I know you don't want to hear this, but by the end of the season, Kyle Shanahan is using Trey Lance in a Taysom Hill role. McCaffrey totals nearly 1,500 yards from scrimmage and 12 total touchdowns. His 17.3 points per game don't look like a disaster on paper, but his fantasy managers are lapped by drafters who are able to pair elite wide receiver scoring in the first round with similar running back production available later. McCaffrey's 2024 ADP briefly dips into the second round, but following San Francisco's signing of Kirk Cousins, two years, $80 million fully guaranteed, McCaffrey's ADP jumps back into the first round. How to play it. This year's extremely wide receiver heavy ADP has made selecting McCaffrey a bit scarier than it otherwise ought to be. McCaffrey looks like a great bet in a vacuum, but selecting him means foregoing an opportunity to get a difference-making wide receiver in an environment where scoring at the position dries up faster than ever. We also have to deal with the issue of McCaffrey's age. Since 2010, only Jamal Charles, age 27, and Austin Eckler, 27, have delivered legendary seasons after turning 26. McCaffrey's age isn't a big concern for his ability to churn out a productive season, but when considering his ability to turn in a ceiling outcome, it's not ideal. Then again, McCaffrey is an exceptional receiving talent, and in the modern NFL, receiving ability is the most reliable path to a legendary season. Since 2010, 16 of 18 legendary seasons have come with 4-plus receptions per game. McCaffrey's 22% target share easily led the running back position last year, and his elite 1.83 yards per route run indicates that he still has plenty of receiving ability left in the tank. Even in a down year, he's likely to hit 4-plus receptions per game. Then I've got a chart here from Fantasy Life showing his target share at 22%. Austin Eckler was at 19%. Then Ramondre Stevenson, Alvin Kamara, Javante Williams, and Saquon Barkley were at 17%, and that's all the running backs 
that were at 15% or higher last year. So McCaffrey at 22%, it really does sort of separate him from the pack. Eckler kind of in the ballpark, but those are really the only two guys from last year um, in that kind of upper echelon. McCaffrey won't be the every down workhorse he was as a young running back, but his workload should be well curated by Kyle Shanahan and include a high rate of high value touches. As I shift from wide receiver heavy best ball ADP to more running back heavy managed league rooms, I plan to prioritize McCaffrey's immense upside. Managed league recommendation, target. The next running back is Austin Eckler. Legendary scenario. In 2022, Austin Eckler turned in a legendary season by putting a flailing Chargers offense on his back. In 2023, he hitches a ride with an elite passing game. Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are healthy and productive, and the addition of explosive yards after catch plays from Quinton Johnston make the offense unstoppable at its best. With Kellen Moore calling the plays, the Chargers offense operates quickly, putting up totals that would have made Mike McCarthy physically unwell. The Chargers show off their high-scoring ability right away, dropping 35 points on the Dolphins in Week 1, immediately besting their highest output of 2022. Brandon Staley feels just fine about that. Under Moore, the Chargers aren't quite as pass-heavy as the Chiefs, Bengals, or Bills. Instead, they operate more like the 2022 Vikings. They keep defenses honest by running the ball, but are still solidly pass-first. However, the Chargers are extremely pass-heavy on first down, returning to Moore's 2021 play-calling style before McCarthy had his say. This approach facilitates a bounce-back season from Justin Herbert, who captains a highly efficient offense. In this high-scoring environment, Eckler rocks out. He rushes for 13 touchdowns, tying his 2022 mark, and catches eight more, matching his 2021 total. He delivers a second straight 20-plus touchdown campaign with a career-high 21 total touchdowns. Eckler also sets a career-high with 221 rushing attempts. He's hardly an early-down grinder, but with only 13 carries per game, he helps salt away several lopsided wins before giving way to Joshua Kelly, for the final couple of drives. But the Chargers' first down passing tendencies keep Eckler heavily involved as a receiver, despite playing with the lead more frequently than in 2022. Eckler adds 100 receptions to his career-high rushing workload, allowing him to total 1,770 yards from scrimmage and 21 touchdowns. His 23.7 PPR points set a new career high and win leagues for the second consecutive year. Silent Killer Scenario the Chargers offense takes a step forward in 2023 by attacking downfield far more aggressively than they did under Joe Lombardi. Herbert is still happy to throw underneath, but his 8.0 average depth of target falls well short of Dak Prescott's 8.6 mark in 2022. Still, Herbert's ADOT is a new career high thanks to a full season from Mike Williams and some deep crossing connections with Quinton Johnston. Johnston's late season emergence helps free up Keenan Allen underneath, who feasts on shallow targets. The 31-year-old can still get open quickly, and Herbert leans on him throughout the season. Better play and better health from the Chargers receivers create some disappointing box scores for Eckler, but the Chargers don't forget about their weapon in the backfield. In Week 6, Eckler sees 12 targets as part of a quick passing attack that decimates the Cowboys. But Kellen Moore's revenge victory is the only time Eckler sees 12-plus targets after hitting that mark four times in 2022. His receiving contribution is still critical to the team's success, but his 75 receptions are much closer to 2021's 70 than 2022's 107. Eckler remains solidly productive, 
His rushing efficiency falls slightly, but he still manages a respectable 4.2 yards per carry, and he produces efficiently as a receiver, allowing him to hit 1,365 scrimmage yards. As part of a high-powered offense, Eckler racks up 11 touchdowns, the third most of his career, but Eckler's 16.3 points per game are a letdown, with several wide receivers taken near him, easily beating that mark. How to play it. Eckler's advanced age has made him a difficult click for me in the mid-first round, where his ADP has settled since he sorted out his contract with the Chargers. But if the Chargers offense takes a step forward this season, he could easily finish as the RB1. Although Eckler is unlikely to match last season's 107 receptions, he will remain a vital piece of the Chargers passing attack, and Eckler has demonstrated a high-value role at the goal line over the last two seasons. Even under a new offensive coordinator, Eckler should retain strong usage near the end zone. The Chargers' potential to score more frequently creates upside for even more touchdowns than last season's 18. After all, Eckler scored 20 in 2021. Eckler's profile is largely excellent, except for the fact that he is 28 years old. If he turns in a legendary season this year, he will be the oldest running back since 2007 to do so. Since 2000, only Marshall Falk in 2001, Priest Holmes in 2002 and 2003, Sean Alexander in 2005, LaDainian Tomlinson in 2007, and Brian Westbrook in 2007 have produced legendary seasons at 28-plus years old. Fortunately, four of these six seasons included heavy receiving usage. Holmes saw 4.6 and 5.0 receptions per game, Falk was at 5.9, and Westbrook 6.0. Betting on a 28-plus-year-old back to hit an elite ceiling has been a losing bet for 15 straight years. But, if we're going to make that bet anyway, it would be on a back like Eckler, who is an elite receiver with an established goal line role on a high-powered offense. But although Eckler has a surprisingly strong range of outcomes for his advanced age, he still looks like a worse bet than the top four wide receivers this season. I'm willing to draft him, but not until they are off the board. Managed league recommendation, target in the back half of the first round. The next running back is B. John Robinson. Legendary scenario. In 2023, the Falcons double down on their run-based identity, but the results are much more fun. Tyler Algier frequently spells Bijan Robinson, but only because there's only so much work a rookie running back can reasonably handle. Robinson handles 55% of team attempts, the 10th highest rate in the NFL, but the Falcons run the ball so frequently that Robinson immediately sees massive rushing volume. Since 2020, only Derrick Henry at 378 and 349 attempts, Josh Jacobs at 340, and Jonathan Taylor at 332 have logged more carries than Robinson at 330 does in 2023. As they did in 2022, the Falcons pair rushing volume with rushing efficiency, and Robinson lives up to lofty expectations as a rusher, delivering 4.9 yards per carry and 1,617 rushing yards. Behind one of the league's best offensive lines, and one specifically constructed to run the ball, Robinson's 14 rushing touchdowns tie him with Nick Chubb on the 2023 leaderboard. And while the Falcons' offense continues to run through the backfield, their passing game takes a step forward. Desmond Ritter has an up-and-down sophomore campaign, but he's still a big upgrade on Marcus Mariota. And critically, Ritter's play is good enough for the Falcons to drop back at a reasonable rate. After attempting just 415 passes in 2023, the Falcons hit 515 with Ritter under center, in line with their pace to close the 2022 season and Arthur Smith's 2020 pace with the Titans, 
who averaged 30.3 attempts per game. The Falcons remain a run-heavy team, but their willingness to occasionally lean on the passing game allows Robinson to rack up 65 catches on a 15% target share. He falls well short of the 91 receptions that Saquon Barkley posted in his 16-game legendary season, but Robinson's receiving ability still impresses. As his prospect profile suggested he would be, Robinson is an efficient pass catcher, posting 1.73 yards per route run, 583 receiving yards, and 4 receiving touchdowns. His position leading 23.1 PPR points per game, available in the back half of the first round, power fantasy teams to the championship game. In Week 17, his spinning one-handed catch becomes the stuff of legend after he gathers himself and sideline dashes 66 yards for a fantasy championship ceiling touchdown. Silent Killer Scenario After the draft, the Falcons talked a big game about Robinson being a receiving weapon. But a few weeks into the season, it's clear why Arthur Smith wanted to draft a star running back. He wanted to run the ball. It's not that Robinson is uninvolved as a receiver. His 50% route participation matches Joe Mixon's 2022 rate. And he posts a respectable 12% target share. But Cordero Patterson sees some passing down snaps, and Tyler Algier regularly mixes in throughout the season. Robinson posts 40 receptions for 308 receiving yards. His receiving contribution is very encouraging for a rookie running back, but falls short of the fantasy community's optimistic expectations. As a rusher, Robinson is heavily involved. On 272 attempts in a full 17-game season, Robinson posts 1,224 yards. But frustratingly, Algier snipes the occasional touchdown. And with Ritter playing like a future backup quarterback, there aren't many touchdowns to go around. Even still, Robinson runs for eight touchdowns, adding two more as a receiver. Robinson's 14.9 points per game are solid results for a rookie, but he becomes a drag on rosters when he can't keep up with the breakout wide receivers selected just behind him. How to play it. Since 2000, only one rookie running back has produced a legendary season, Saquon Barkley. And to get there, Barkley racked up 121 targets. Only Austin Eckler, at 127, topped that mark in 2022. Even in rosy target scenarios, Robinson would do well to approach 80 targets. Topping 120 isn't on the table. However, Barkley averaged just 15.3 carries per game as a rookie. And Robinson will easily beat that if he stays healthy. In Desmond Ritter's four 2022 starts, Tyler Algier averaged 20 carries per game while handling just 56% of the team attempts. Robinson could beat Barkley's 261 rookie carries by handling just half of the Falcons' running back carries this season. If he handles more like 60% of the team attempts, we're likely talking about a 400-plus touch rookie season. Even in the legendary scenario above, I didn't go there. In that universe, Robinson only saw 395 touches, 330 carries, and 65 receptions. But we are talking about a star running back who Arthur Smith just took 8th overall. Things could get nutty. And Robinson really does profile as an elite prospect. He has the potential to combine Javante Williams-level tackle shedding, Kenneth Walker-like breakaway ability, and early career Saquon Barkley-esque receiving versatility. Robinson now gets a coach who is virtually guaranteed to build his offense around his backfield. Thankfully, Robinson brings enough receiving ability to the table that Smith's plan of attack should include plenty of targets for the rookie, in addition to a healthy dose of carries. Robinson will need to be a special rookie to handle the type of workload that Smith may plan to throw at him, but he profiles as one of the best running back prospects of the modern era. Betting on him to be immensely talented doesn't feel like much of a leap. Managed league recommendation, 
Target. The next running back is Saquon Barkley. Legendary scenario. Daniel Jones takes a step forward as a passer in his second season in Brian Dayball's offense and with better receiving weapons. This allows Dayball to call more passing plays and leads to a more efficient offense overall. And although Jones is still willing to take off and run, he is also more comfortable going through his reads and checking down to Barkley as needed. Barkley thrives in this environment, posting 72 receptions, 612 yards, and three receiving touchdowns, 190 targets. His output isn't quite to the levels of 2018 when he went for 91, 721, and 4 on 121 targets, but it's easily Barkley's best showing since his rookie year. But Barkley is even more impressive as a rusher. He posts his best rushing efficiency since his rookie season at 4.7 yards per carry and runs for a career-high 1,457 yards. As part of a surging Giants offense, he shatters his previous career-high touchdown total, 11, by punching in 16 scores. Barkley is the Giants' clear lead back in all situations, but his hold on goal line work is absolute, with Matt Breida and Eric Gray seeing non-existent usage near the end zone. Three of his scores come against the Rams in Week 17. On the opposing sideline, Sean McVay wistfully pines for Todd Gurley's prime. Silent Killer Scenario With backfield competition from only Breida and Gray, Barkley continues to dominate the Giants' backfield. He hits 300 attempts for the first time in his career and adds 58 receptions, besting 2022's 57. His 358 touches are a new career high. But Barkley's performance on his elite workload is uninspiring. First of all, most of his work is as a rusher, which just isn't conducive to PPR scoring. And his rushing production isn't efficient. Things aren't as bad as in 2021 when he averaged just 3.7 yards per carry, but he falls off from 2022's 4.4 mark to just 4.0. His 1,200 rushing yards are good for running back 5, but his inefficiency feels like a waste of his elite workload. Barkley continues to be a boom-bust runner, but 2023 has more blown-up runs than usual behind an offensive line that struggles for consistency all year outside of left tackle Andrew Thomas. The issues are especially frustrating at the goal line, with Dayball resorting to trick plays and gadgets to get the ball in the end zone. Barkley runs in seven touchdowns, which, despite being the third highest mark of his career, is a disappointing total on his 300-carry workload. And Barkley's efficiency issues extend to the passing game. Like in 2022, he averages just 5.9 yards per reception and fails to score a receiving touchdown. Barkley maintains a solid passing game role, but his 58 reception, 342-yard, zero-touchdown receiving line is a far cry from the 91 reception, 721-yard, four-touchdown line he posted in his legendary rookie season. With an elevated ADP after his bounce-back 2022 campaign, Barkley's 15.0 points per game are a major disappointment for fantasy managers who selected him in the late first round. How to play it. Projectable volume is often a myth at the running back position, but Barkley really does look locked into a huge workload this season. Health is his biggest impediment to a career high in touches. But it still matters what type of touches Barkley sees, and what he does on them. As a rookie, Barkley was a force in the receiving game. In 2018, only Christian McCaffrey, with 107, bested Barkley's 91 receptions. But since then, Barkley hasn't been close to that mark. Last year's mark of 57 catches is the second highest of his career. Part of that is injury-related. 
But after averaging 5.7 receptions per game as a rookie, Barkley hasn't had more than 4.0 per game. And Barkley's efficiency hasn't been impressive in a long time. Last year's 4.4 yards per carry wasn't terrible, but he's never repeated the 5.0 yards per carry that made him so special as a rookie. And Barkley is coming off a career-low 5.9 yards per reception, which is especially concerning in combination with his suboptimal receiving volume. And although Barkley isn't old, he's no longer young by running back standards. When profiling previous legendary seasons, I was surprised by how many of them were from extremely young backs. Since 2010, only Jamal Charles and Austin Eckler have produced legendary seasons at 26-plus years old. Charles saw 4.7 receptions per game in 2013, and Eckler saw 6.3 last year. Barkley averaged 3.6 receptions per game last year. This year, it's easier to look past McCaffrey and Eckler's age because of their receiving production. But although Barkley has the reputation of a high-end receiving back, he hasn't been in a McCaffrey-style role since 2018. Barkley's goal line role has also been disappointing of late. As a rookie, Barkley saw 2.2 green zone opportunities per game, but he was at just 1.4 last season, and his career mark is down to 1.5. As a reminder, we're looking for running backs with a path to 2-plus green zone opportunities per game. Barkley has a path to that level of touchdown upside, but even with a massive projected workload, his goal line usage looks somewhat shaky. This concern is magnified by the potential for weak offensive line play and his inconsistent success rate as a rusher. Since 2000, Barkley is one of just 25 running backs to deliver a legendary season. These 25 backs have produced 38 legendary seasons. So when a former legend is in line for an elite workload, we definitely want to pay attention. These guys tend to repeat. But although Barkley will be fed touches this year, he could be on a junk food diet. PPR legends are raised on a diet of receptions and goal line touches. Barkley's workload looks to be lacking in both respects. Barkley's declining efficiency doesn't look strong enough to deliver a legendary season without a heavy helping of high-value touches. Manage league recommendation, fade. The next running back is Nick Chubb. Legendary scenario. With Kareem Hunt no longer in Cleveland, it's the Nick Chubb show in 2023. Chubb sets a career high with 323 carries and remains the best pure rusher in football. For the third time since 2000, he hits 5.5 yards per carry, rushing for a ridiculous 1,777 yards and 16 touchdowns, crushing his previous career highs of 1,525 yards and 12 touchdowns behind an elite offensive line. And Chubb carves out a meaningful role in a revived Browns passing game. Chubb sees more screens than in years past, helping to punish defenses who refuse to let Deshaun Watson beat them deep. Chubb posts a 51-reception, 449-yard, four-touchdown receiving line on 68 targets. He crushes his previous career highs in targets, which are 49, receptions, 36, receiving yards, 278, and receiving touchdowns, 2, demonstrating that his game-breaking ability isn't limited to handoffs. In Week 17, Chubb sets new career highs with 180 rushing yards and 60 receiving yards. With five receptions and two touchdowns added to the mix, his 40 PPR points are indisputably what you need. After the season, Aaron Rodgers receives an offer to join the Pat McAfee show, which he leverages into officially replacing Joe Douglas as the Jets' GM. His first order of business, acquiring Nick Chubb in exchange for the Jets' 2025 second, third, and Brees Hall. 
silent killer scenario. With Jerome Ford as his only real competition, Chubb is the clear leader in the Browns' backfield. But the Browns shift their focus toward the passing game as they desperately try to get Deshaun Watson on track in his second year with the team. As a result, Chubb runs the ball 47 fewer times than in 2022. In addition to a slightly smaller rushing workload, he's slightly less efficient. His yards per carry drops for the fourth consecutive year to a career-low 4.8. Chubb remains impressively efficient, but he averages less than five yards per attempt for the first time in his career. As his backers hoped, Chubb sees more receiving work than in 2022, but Ford takes over enough of the hunt role to cap Chubb's involvement below his 2019 receiving highs. Chubb's 44 targets and 33 receptions aren't quite to his 2019 highs, but he is more efficient than he was as a second-year player. This allows him to set a new career high with 290 receiving yards. He also ties his 2018 career high with two receiving touchdowns. But with 14.9 PPR points per game, Chubb isn't a difference-making player in PPR leagues. With an early second-round ADP, he does major damage to fantasy rosters. How to play it. Chubb has been one of the best pure rushers in football since entering the league. In NFL Next Gen's rush yards over expected metric, he's finished third, second, 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 and first. Coming off an RB1 finish in the metric, it's hard to bet against his ability to produce efficiently on the ground. However, Chubb's ability to produce outside the running game is definitely in question. In 45 games under Kevin Stefanski, Chubb has averaged just 1.5 receptions per game. And remember, we're looking for a path to 4-plus receptions per game. Since 2010, only Dalvin Cook at 3.1 and Jonathan Taylor at 2.4 have produced legendary seasons with fewer than 4 receptions per game. And even Taylor's 2021 mark of 40 receptions would be a career high for Chubb. The fantasy market has become optimistic that Chubb will see an uptick in receiving work with Kareem Hunt off the roster. I share that optimism. However, the market looks to have forgotten just how uninvolved Chubb has been as a receiver. As his silent killer scenario outlined, Chubb can set a career high in receiving yards and still fall well short of league-winning scoring levels. The other issue is that while Chubb's consistent rushing efficiency makes him feel like a safe pick, he is not. That is the unfortunate truth about the position. Chubb is an NFL running back. He turns 28 before the end of this year. There is nothing safe about that, regardless of how amazing Chubb has been to begin his career. I get it. It feels like Chubb is a lock to be incredibly efficient again this season, and he probably will be. But if he fails to deliver elite efficiency at 28 years old, it's on us if we're shocked. More importantly, to fully pay off on his early second-round ADP, Chubb needs to add a key element to his game at an advanced age. That's possible, but it's not an outcome I'm willing to bank on this year. As fun as it would be for Chubb to emerge as a versatile playmaker, he will likely continue to post sub-elite PPR scoring. Manage league recommendation, fade. The next running back is Tony Pollard. Legendary scenario. With Ezekiel Elliott finally out of the picture, Pollard consistently operates as a true lead running back for the first time in his career. But the Cowboys understand who Pollard is. An explosive rusher and receiver, not in every touch workhorse. Pollard is frequently spelled by a rotation of backups, and this is occasionally frustrating. But the Cowboys aren't afraid to lean on Pollard in most high-leverage situations. 
and with a good defense and a productive passing game, they frequently play from ahead. Pollard doesn't get every opportunity, but there are plenty to go around in this backfield. Pollard's 275 carries smashed his previous career high of 193. More importantly, Pollard is a featured part of the Cowboys' goal line offense. Despite being in clear decline, Ezekiel Elliott averaged 1.8 green zone opportunities per game in 2022. Pollard saw just 1.0. But with Elliott off the team, Pollard's goal line usage spikes. He punches in 15 rushing touchdowns behind a top 10 offensive line. On his larger workload, Pollard can't quite hit his 5.5 yards per carry from 2021, but he matches his 5.2 mark from last season, rushing for 1,430 yards. Pollard sets new career highs as a receiver, replacing many of Zeke's pass-blocking snaps with electric yards-after-catch highlights. Pollard's 15% target share ranks RB5, behind only Christian McCaffrey at 20%, Austin Eckler at 18%, Saquon Barkley 16%, and Jameer Gibbs 16%. Pollard's electric 8.9 yards per reception is somehow worse than in 2022, but his fantasy managers are still delighted with his 71 reception, 628, four-touchdown receiving line. With over 2,000 yards from scrimmage and 19 total touchdowns, Pollard's 23 points per game are an absolute smash in the second round. In Week 17, Pollard totals 211 yards and 39 PPR points. The best ball community's takeaway is to target running backs playing in a dome. Silent Killer Scenario Tony Pollard is incredibly productive to start the season, but in Week 3, it all comes crashing down after the suspension is lifted on Ronald Jones. Just kidding. But Pollard really does lose work to his backups, even if it's mostly Rico Dowdle and not Jones taking the work. The big issue facing Pollard is that he doesn't have complete control of the goal line work. And when he doesn't run as hot on long touchdowns, Pollard actually scores fewer TDs than in 2022. Pollard continues to be explosive. He just doesn't run pure on long TDs like in 2022. In combination with some, but not all, of the Cowboys' goal line rushing work, he totals just nine touchdowns. He runs in eight, down from nine, and only catches one, down from three. By week six, the internet is awash with victory laps from X's highest T checks, who gleefully assert that the 209-pound Pollard was a change of pace back all along. As a receiver, Pollard delivers a career-high 12% target share, but Pollard isn't a feature of the passing game, like the elite receiving weapons at the position. Instead, he's used more like peak Dalvin Cook, and like Cook was for much of his career, Pollard is stuck on a conservative offense. Pollard sets a career high with 60 targets, but as part of a slower, more run-heavy Cowboys offense, he sees only five more than in 2022. His 45 reception, 387-yard, one-touchdown receiving line contributes to just 14.9 PPR points per game, which is a major disappointment for drafters who saw him as the next three-down superstar at the position. How to play it. Pollard's season is likely to come down to his goal line role. The importance of his green zone usage is being covered up a bit by his extreme touchdown efficiency last season. In 2022, Pollard totaled 12 touchdowns, but only three of nine rushing touchdowns were on carries inside the 10, and only one of three receiving touchdowns was within the 10. Then I have a couple of charts here from Fantasy Life just highlighting exactly what I said, that three of those nine touchdowns were within the 10, uh, and only one of the receiving touchdowns came from within the 10. Fortunately, 
Ezekiel Elliott's absence opens up a lot of goal line opportunities. Zeke saw 1.8 green zone opportunities per game last year and 1.3 in 2021. Pollard saw 1.0 green zone opportunities per game last year and just 0.2 in 2021. Put differently, Zeke has played just one more game than Pollard over the last two seasons, but has 54 green zone opportunities to Pollard's 21. On the one hand, this gives Pollard quite a bit of upside. But on the other hand, Zeke has been bad for the last two years. Yet Mike McCarthy still strongly preferred him over Pollard near the end zone. The Dallas backfield now has goal line opportunities up for grabs, but Pollard won't necessarily soak up a huge share of them. He's an undersized speed back, the type of running back coaches have historically shied away from in close. But it's important to note that while Pollard is an electric rusher, he is not a boom-bust runner. Last year, Pollard finished running back three in NFL Next Gen's rush yards over expected. He was RB6 in 2021. That indicates elite explosiveness. But whereas some explosive rushers, like Saquon Barkley and Kenneth Walker, struggle with consistency, Pollard does not. As I covered in Running Back Success Rate Stars, Pollard has been impressively consistent over the last two years. Pollard's consistency should make us more confident that the Cowboys will lean on him at the goal line, given the positive relationship between success rate and future goal line opportunities. Ultimately, Pollard is an explosive rusher and versatile receiver who just needs to stay healthy to set career highs in usage. At 26 years old, Pollard is actually slightly older than we'd prefer, but he's also running behind an offensive line that is highly ranked by Matthew Friedman, 4th, Brandon Thorne, 6th, Sam Monson, 6th, and Justin Edwards, 7th. He also has a path to 4-plus receptions per game and 2-plus green zone opportunities per game. With a high-value role and a multi-year resume of elite efficiency, Pollard is the type of 26-year-old I'm happy to bet on. As Pollard's price increases, he becomes an increasingly fragile bet. If his efficiency drops on an increased but sub-elite workload, it'll hurt. If he's also pulled at the goal line, it'll be a dagger. But if Pollard is simply the Pollard we've been watching the last few years, and his coaches give him the star treatment he's earned, he can win leagues from the second round. Managed league recommendation, target. The next and last running back is Derrick Henry. Legendary scenario. Derrick Henry takes the field in 2023 and does exactly what he has done in 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. He carries the load for the Tennessee Titans. Rather than easing up on their veteran running back, the Titans press the pedal to the floor, knowing it's Henry's final year with the team. After averaging 21.8 carries per game in 2022, Henry hits 23.5 in 2023 reaching exactly 400 carries in Week 18, three days after his 30th birthday. Henry's 400-carry mark is a career high, although it wouldn't be if he had finished all of 2021 when he was on pace for 465 carries. The Titans don't take things to that extreme, but they're happy to get Henry rolling again. Henry's workload is supported by a Titans team that is more consistently in positive game script. Unlike in 2022, their defense isn't circled on opposing passing game coordinator schedules all season. They aren't particularly good at stopping the pass, but their run defense also falls off from 2022, and teams are more willing to play balanced against them. This suits the Titans just fine, who are happy to play in as many one-score games as possible. And that plan works out pretty well, because the Titans are far more competent on offense in 2023. Ryan Tannehill stays healthy and gets strong contributions from DeAndre Hopkins, Traylon Burks, and Chigakonkwo throughout the year. 
But best of all, the Titans' offensive line isn't a disaster. To be clear, the line is not good. But 11th overall pick Peter Skoronsky lives up to his billing as an instant stud, and the unit as a whole isn't a major liability. The Titans' unexpectedly competent blocking allows Henry to rush more efficiently than he has in years. He doesn't return to the glory days of 2020, when he posted 5.4 yards per carry, but after being at 4.3 in 2021 and 4.4 in 2022, his 4.8 yards per carry feels vintage. In Week 17, Henry averages 7.6 yards per carry for 220 yards. Somehow that's 30 yards short of a career high. But with the help of a 25-yard screen touchdown, Henry also adds 45 receiving yards. His 265 yards from scrimmage set a new career high and, paired with four total touchdowns, resoundingly win fantasy championships. The following week, scores of fantasy managers flood bars around the country to root for the Titans in one of the most complicated tiebreaker scenarios of the last decade. But there's nothing complicated about what is driving the allegiance of these newly minted Tennessee fans. They are decked out in Titans gear, purchased with the fantasy winnings from Henry's fifth career 200-plus yard rushing performance against the Texans. In Week 18, the Jaguars rest their starters for the playoffs, and the Titans cruise to victory. But the Bills also rest their starters, allowing the Dolphins to secure the final wild card. It's a sad note for the season to end on, but Henry's close to his Titans career will long outlast the disappointment of missing the playoffs. The franchise back runs for 1,920 yards and continues building on his late career receiving production with career highs in receptions, 40, and yards, 440. He also totals a career-high 20 touchdowns. Once again, seriously, how many times does he have to do this? He makes the faders look ridiculous. Silent Killer Scenario The Titans roll out their classic playbook in 2023, but it's not 2020 anymore. Arguably, the biggest issue is the offensive line. Widely ranked among the league's worst entering the season, the line plays as poorly as feared. Peter Skaronsky flashes strong potential, but he plays like a rookie at times as well, and he's by far the biggest bright spot on the line. This leads to a career-low 4.1 yards per carry for Derrick Henry, whose rushing efficiency declines for the third straight year. And after years of leaning on Henry as a workhorse rusher, the Titans begin to ease up on his workload down the stretch. Tajay Spears isn't capable of handling the punishment that Henry can, but he's impressively explosive on limited work, and he eventually begins to eat into Henry's carry total. Henry still racks up carries, finishing with 306 at an 18-carry per game clip. And he continues to be the feature back at the goal line, punching in 12 touchdowns. But his rushing line of 306, 1,255, and 12 can't support his ADP on its own. And with Spears immediately flashing, Henry's receiving work dips to 2020 levels. He posts 20 receptions, 176 yards, and zero touchdowns in 17 games, returning to the pure rushing role he had for the majority of his career. With just 13.8 points per game, even drafters who grabbed him in the early third of best ball drafts feel the pain. And Henry completely sinks teams who paid up for him in the mid-second. How to play it. Find Henry in your favorite projections provider and divide his carry total by 17 games. It's going to work out to less than 20 carries per game. Divide by 16 games. It's going to be less than 20. Divide by 15, and it'll still probably be less than 20 per game. For reference, here's Henry's projection at Fantasy Life. 
And then I've got this full projection here, but the thing I'm noting is the 294 carry mark. His carry total isn't meaningfully higher at Draft Sharks, 312, or PFF, 309, and it's lower at 4 for 4, 260. And yet, Henry averaged 21.8 carries per game last year. He averaged 27.3 in 2021, 23.6 in 2020, 20.2 in 2019. Henry hasn't averaged less than 20 carries per game since 2018. Let's cut the projections some slack. They are trying to bake in injury risk and a number of other important factors. But the averaging of all possibilities hides the specifics of those discrete outcomes. And in Henry's case, he'll likely crush his projected carry total, provided he's still explosive enough to overcome poor offensive line play on a massive workload. If he's not that guy, then I really don't want him on my teams. Although Henry is coming off a career-high 33 receptions, the addition of Spears makes it hard to believe Henry has a receiving role to fall back on. Don't get me wrong, Henry's receiving usage over the last two seasons, 2.1 receptions per game, is intriguing as part of his ceiling projection. But if Henry cedes significant work to Spears, his pass-catching work will likely be the first thing to disappear. Essentially, we need things to play out in a near-ideal way for Henry to deliver elite value. And we're talking about a two-down running back who is nearly 30 years old, plays behind what may be the worst offensive line in the NFL, and is not supported by a high-end passing game. His path to hitting an elite ceiling is a tightrope walk, and it's getting pretty damn windy in Tennessee. Managed league recommendation, fade. All right, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you will be listening more in the future if you enjoyed this. Again, details on how to get a $50 underdog credit with a yearly subscription are in the description below. Uh, $99 for the year, $10 for the month if you want to sign up for legendaryupside.com. Hope to see you over there. Hope to see you in the members-only Discord as well. But either way, I hope you have a legendary 2023 fantasy season.